You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. Your phone's out, and we're going to be in Genesis 25, and I really, if we could do paper, I'm going to get the old paper Bibles out and just give them to you as a gift next year. But for now, we'll stay on our phones in Genesis 25. And the series that we're going to get into for the next months, from January to June, it's called Relentless Grace. Did you know that grace is relentless? Did you know that grace wasn't just an event? It's a lifetime. Did you know that grace isn't um, just an altar call? It's something you need every day. It's something that you need when you're high and when you're low, when you're, when you're strong, when you're, you need grace. Did you know that? You never graduate from grace. It's the A through Z, not just the ABCs of Christianity. You need grace. And so in the pages of Scripture, uh, we're going to find a character named Jacob. And I hope that God gives you grace to see that you're Jacob that I'm Jacob. And, uh, and Jacob, uh, his name means deceiver. He's a stubborn guy. And God has to wrestle him down in grace. We think of grace sometimes as a couch or a get-out-of-jail-free card. Grace has forgiveness, but forgiveness can't contain the... Grace is a bigger word than just forgiveness. Grace isn't just off the hook. It's, 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 he's not letting you go. That's what grace means. And grace is wrestling you. And grace is confronting you. And grace is injuring you and changing your name. For the rest of life, because of the confrontation that Jacob has with God, he's limping. Physically, he's different. So grace is not a couch. It's a vehicle, and it's getting you to Jesus. It's doing whatever it can and whatever it needs to to get you to Jesus. And so what he's going to do in this year is um, he's going to draw you towards grace. Yeah, it, it's, it's a conveyor belt. When you, get, when you get at the airport, you know, it drives you crazy when people stand on the conveyor belt still. You're supposed to walk. I'll just equip you guys right now. Don't stand on the conveyor belt. Still walk on the conveyor belt. And you'll find yourself walking. It's like, man, I'm just cruising. I'm running so fast, faster than that guy's running. Grace will move you. It mobilizes you. This isn't you. It's him, right? And, and the equation of your life needs to not have explanation without his grace. His grace is moving you. And it's moving you. And you're walking, but it's moving you. And so we walk with grace. We take our steps with grace like a conveyor belt. And it's leading you somewhere. And it's leading you to Jesus. And so this year... Um, it's going to surprise you. It's going to wrestle you. It's going to injure you in the best of ways and change your name. And it's going to convince you and teach you that some of the things you see as obstacles are actually the opportunities you have for grace. The thorn in your side and the annoying person that you're working with and the struggle and even COVID-19, all of it gets turned for your good and his glory. All of it is in his domain of sovereignty. Grace is sovereign. And so it's changing your obstacles into opportunities. And some of the things you think are going great for you might be your worst enemy. And he's going to remove those things from you. And you think that God's given up on you. He hasn't. He's just gotten started because he's wrestling you. He's injuring you and he's changing you. And he's saving you from yourself. Um, Graham, is Graham here? Graham, I, I, I love Disney. If you're out there, Graham, I just want to tell you ahead of time, it's one of the most American things you can do is diss Disney on New Year's. But um, I, I grew up in the heyday of Disney. So I understand. I was born in 84. So I'm seven. Beauty and the Beast came out. And then The Little Mermaid, I'm eight. And then nine, Aladdin comes out. And then 10, it's Lion King. And 11, it's Toy Story. I mean, I live in the heyday. I love it. And, uh, and Disney's the goat. I mean, they used to sell those little VHS tapes in those white cases for $30. You would kill a toddler off of that. Like, if you found a Pocahontas, you would wrestle them, man. They're the best. They have the best songs. They have the best stories. I mean, they, I mean... If Michael Jordan's always hitting jump shots, I just, you, how do they do it? They never, I mean, they never lost. 
They never lost. They, they packed the theaters every single, every single summer. So Graham, Disney's the GOAT. And I'm not going to lose my citizenship over this. But um, I feel a tension in the room right now. <laughs> I feel it. Um, Disney didn't always tell us the truth. Disney is a very American thing. And we need to be aware of our culture. Love the parts of it that's good. And there's so many... and. I, we just can't be that place that's just hating on Harry Potter and finding things wrong. Disney, of all things, I don't need to be dissing Disney. But everything has a little bit of truth in it. So everything has a little bit of a deception. And, and the thing that Disney lied to us about is that um, all of our dreams come true. Have you found that out? <laughs> a dream is a wish your heart makes. Such a sweet song. <laughs> when you're fast asleep, no matter what you may be grieving... If you keep on believing, a dream that you wish will come true. If you sing it just right, it feels true, right? I mean, I'm not going to believe what that says. But there's better news in Jesus. It's better news than Disney. In that uh, your dreams don't come true, God's will comes true. And that's better. And he... He gives us our dreams and delivers our desires, and sometimes he saves us from them. And that's good, because his blessings are better than our dreams. And he wrestles us down with grace. And so um, the Bible confronts our, our American self-determination and individualism, because the Bible says he chooses us. He makes choices, and he chooses us. We don't have all the choices. We don't have all the freedoms. Uh, God chooses us, and in the beginning, or in Romans chapter 13, the story we're about to talk about in a moment about Jacob, it says that in the womb, Jacob was chosen for his purpose. And people get into a lot of that about, you know, salvation and predestination. And, and I don't honestly believe that that's as cut and clear and black and white as some people make it out to be. Chosen in the Bible just means selected for a purpose. Like my, my uh, aunt, or my sister-in-law, my, my sister-in-law, Ashley, my kid's aunt, um, came in at the nativity and said, y'all are just taking too long to decide the roles. You're Mary, you're Shepherd, you're Joseph, go. We're done with this. You're, I choose you. And the Bible says that in the womb, Jacob was chosen. All the other patriarchs, uh, they're chosen, um, but we sort of see some action and activity of the neighborhood before they get chosen to sort of um, prop up their resume as to why they're chosen. We can connect dots. But Jacob and Esau are chosen from the beginning for certain purposes, and God has selected them, and he's, he's chosen them. And so I don't know if you guys have ever seen a good magician. The, the prestige, the setup of the trick is everything. If you're out, you know, on the sidewalk or in a living room, you need, to, you need to communicate to the people that you're not manipulating things, that you just have a normal deck. So the magician will just say, pick a card, any card. You ever have a magician come and just pick a card, any card. And they hold out the thing and you're like, wait a minute, they want me to pick right, so I'm gonna, in the middle and I'm going to pick left or I'm just going to, I got to kind of get around and maneuver this, right? He's saying pick a card, any card. Because the magician needs to communicate from the beginning it's not about the card. You could pick any card. That's the, that's the idea, right? Any suit, any color. It's a two, it's a nine, it's an ace, it's a jack. He's saying, you could pick any card, and I'm about to make this trick work, because it's not about the cards, it's about the magician. It's not about the cards, it's about the magician. And so the choosing, it's not about you're blessed and you're not blessed, or, or you're saving your the, the choosing is, I'm about to do a miracle, not magic in your life, and it's not going to be about you, it's about me. I could have picked any Jacob, I could have picked any Abraham, I could have picked any Sharon or any Oliver, or any Becca or any Timothy. It's not about the card, it's about the magician. It's not about you, it's about God. And so he's picking Jacob off the bat to show I could have picked anybody, but I chose Jacob. And so it is with you. Jesus says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. 
And you're not here because of you, you're here because of me. And I've got you on a conveyor belt. And you cannot send me, right? You can't run away from me. I'm not letting you go that easily. And I'm going to wrestle you down until you arrive at Jesus, right? So this is, this is, the, this is sovereignty of God that, that he's working on his life. So Genesis 25 it says this, uh, after the Abraham account, I think verse, verse 19 is the beginning. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel and Aramian from Paddan, Aram, and the sister of Laban. We're going to catch up with him quite a bit in later chapters. Laban is the, um, uh, the uncle there. The Aramian, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife, says, because she was childless, the Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. So this is a bit of a prelude to the rest of the story. We've closed up the Abraham character and introduced the Jacob character, and so it's a bit of a chorus in the song to remind you of the theme. A family that has been called apart, set apart to be a blessing, not just to be blessed, but be a blessing family. In the New Testament language, we would say to bring heaven to earth, Abraham was born. Abraham, you're going to get a name change. You're going to be blessed. And you are going to be a steward of that blessing. But in his selection process, uh, the Bible is, is reminding us, you know, uh, uh, we, we read these texts sometimes and we think, Lord, maybe if you would have picked me to be the draft agent, I would have picked some better players for you because you picked some, uh, some bad cards. Um, Abraham was a nobody from nowhere, and as you remember, uh, Sarah's belly was barren as well. So this is now going to be three, three wives in a row that the whole promise is about having kids, and the three wives he picks can't have kids. Is that an accident, or is it on purpose? This is the third patriarch in a row that is supposed to be a blessing to the nations, but he's a deceiver of the nations. He lies to Pharaoh and lies to Abimelech, and Isaac will do the same in turn, and so will, so will Jacob. And so you have the blessed family that's meant to bless the nations, corrupting themselves and deceiving the nations. Did he pick the right card? Is he doing something on purpose, or, or has he gotten things out of hand? Has things slipped through his fingers? Right? And then also, um, there's going to be a lying and a contention within the family that we're going to see and pick up um, on these themes. So I don't know if you guys remember this, but in the 90s, they had these, um, I'd call them makeover movies. Um, they were all about some high school jock that had it all and had the girlfriend or whatever. And the girlfriend would break up with them. And so somehow there'd be some bet. And you know the story, like she's all that or you know the story. And, and what happens to the jock? Well, the jock, whatever, has this like mid-high school crisis and decides to go date the nerd, right? And she's the wallflower and she sits in the corner and she's, the nerd, and you're like, you know, can the high school jock put up with such nerdy, you know, partnership or whatever, friendship or whatever. That's what the whole Freddie Prince Jr. movie is about. But they think that you're dumb because the nerd is just a model with glasses on, right? Like, if you have any, like, Superman wherewithal at all, she's a babe, like, from the beginning. Like, this guy's not special. Like, this guy isn't magic. Like, you put glasses on Cindy Crawford and then took them off in the last, and then we were all, like, supposed to be surprised. Like, she was a babe the whole time, you know? All right, so, like, this scripture is, needs to wreck us. Like, Jacob is a scoundrel, and Jacob is us. And it's trying to show us from the very beginning until the end, like, grace is not a makeover. Grace is not, like, I need him to sand off a couple rough edges so I can get on the team and help God out. He could really use my help if he could just fix a couple of these, these quirks. Like, 
This is the, sometimes I think the subtle, the way we act, the way we think, the way we pray, like I can help you, God, just like help me out with this one, you know, little problem that I had, this little blemish that I had. He's like, you don't need, you're, you don't need a maker, you need a miracle. And so from the beginning, like how possible is it that somebody goes from death to life out of the covenant blessing and into the covenant blessing, how possible is it for you to know grace, to get on the conveyor belt of grace? And, and, the, and the scripture is lining it up as a metaphor. As impossible as it is for a barren woman to have a baby, so it is, is impossible for you to be born again in Jesus. And listen, until we understand that, our attitude for others will always be contempt and not compassion. As long as we think that we're here because of me and not because of him, we'll always be measuring others against ourselves. The measure of grace extended is the measure of grace understood. And you can trace every judgmental attitude that you have in your heart and contempt for other people that is a lack of compassion. Every time that you're mad at somebody rather than being sad for them, anytime you don't confess, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. It shows you, you think you did something to get here. This scripture has come to you to get all of that out of you. It's come to injure you and wreck you. You're not here because of you. You're here because of him, for them. To be a blessing, to be blessed, and to be a blessing. You are not, you did not, you did not get here. There is no such thing as self-determination. You're not Jasmine, you're not Pocahontas. You're not Buzz Lightyear, right? In Halloween, we all want to be, and there's no slinky dogs, because everybody thinks they're the center of their story. Because a dream is a wish your heart makes, and when you grieve and you wish on a star, it'll come true. But he's come to confront that man. You didn't pay for your college. Did you pay for your college? Maybe you did. Did you give yourself your talents, your gifts? Did you birth yourself into a marriage? Are you here because of you? That's the lie, man. That's, that's where they get you. That's where they're, they're robbing you of grace. Because if you don't need it, you don't have it. You don't know where to find it. And as long as you think that you're the model with the bad bangs that just needs a little dusting off and a little discovery, man, I got so much potential, Lord. Just you wait. Put me in there and I'm gonna, I'll take care of it. Just set me up. No, he... He's saying, you're not here because of you. You're here because of me. I called you. I chose you. People choose people that choose themselves, right? I'm nice to people. In high school, I go and I choose what table I want to sit at. I choose to sit at the jock table, you know? It's going to make me look good and it's going to keep me on my creatine and I might change my name to Chad. I don't know. No offense to anybody out there. But people choose people that choose. The people don't choose people that don't choose them back. Jesus says, I chose you when you weren't choosing me. It's even stronger than love. It's not affection. It's not just I like you or why you're, I, ch- I, know I chose you. I'm not unchoosing you. Once you're chosen, you're chosen. I chose you. That's stronger, right? If you look at your spouse and you say, it's not like, I think you smell good. I appreciate you. You give me, but no, I choose you for richer or poor. He invented though. He, that didn't happen at the altar. That happened in heaven when he chose you. And he says, when you weren't choosing me, I chose you. This is a miracle. It's not a makeover. And so there's this chosenness that goes in. And it's not just, I think Esau's in heaven. It's not about selection of heaven. It's about selection for purpose. We'll get into that for, in a second. But there's these babies are in the belly here. And they're twins. And so it doesn't say like, you know, like there's a good guy and a bad guy. And so God helped the good guy. It was like two babies, unborn. One's, one's blessed. One's ready to do something that the other one's not. The baby's jostled in, within her. Why is this happening to me, she says. And she inquires of the Lord. That's a good word. Anytime you're a Bible reader, if you hear inquire of the Lord, that's good. If they don't inquire the Lord, not good. Uh, that's just Bible vocabulary. The Lord said to her, two nations are in the womb. The two people from within you will be separated, and one people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Inheritance is a big deal back then. 
Uh, you don't just go and make your own wealth in college. Wealth is inherited. Wealth is handed down. If your father's poor, you're, you're broke, dude. Sorry. And so um, what happens is, is that the firstborn of every family tree is supposed to get double the inheritance. So in this case, Jacob and Esau would get um, 66% and 33%. Esau, being the oldest, comes out first, is supposed to get the inheritance. But he says, I'm going to do something different here. I'm not going to tell you how it's going to happen, but I'm telling you ahead of time that, that Esau's not going to get the, the blessing that Jacob is. And there's no, you know, like resume, there's no superlatives here that are given for why that is. It's just I chose him. I chose him. I'm going I'm to cause him to be the 23andMe of Jesus. He's the Ancestry.com of Jesus. I'm going to bless him, and he's going to be the one that's on the family tree. He just, he chose him. And so, um, and so this actually happens a lot, as a matter of fact. As a matter of fact, I can't think of another time in the Bible when the secondborn isn't chosen. Uh, and this causes a lot of problems, and God still continues to do it. He has two people, and the older is supposed to get the blessing, and the younger one gets it instead. The only, the only firstborn that actually gets the inheritance is Jesus. And he's the only brother that actually gives away his inheritance and spreads it out through the family the way it's supposed to be. The secondborn is chosen because humans think that the firstborn is going to be chosen. They're weaker, and it goes against the pride and the self-confidence of man. So the second is always chosen in the family. And it causes a ton of rivalry. Uh, God prophesied it from the beginning that um, without the family of God, outside the family of God, there's going to be enmity between the relationship of the world and the church. Because when one person gets blessed, I mean, Tupac said it, great. When you're a player, you got haters, you know? Like, there's jealousy that comes. So when the family of Israel is chosen, why do you get chosen? I went chosen. I want a cupcake. You didn't give me a cupcake. I want a cupcake. Wah. Like, that's how chosenness works, is that the person that gets chosen thinks they're better, and the person that doesn't gets bitter. That's how that works. And then within the family, there's another chosenness. There's a line, because not all the brothers are the same, and some get chosen, right? And so it offends us, and it brings to bear an important quality, I think, of all humankind, is that when we're chosen, we think we're better. When we have anything, we think we're better. When we're taller, we think we're better. When we're more educated, we think we're better. It's part of the human thing. I must have dreamed on a wish come true. I didn't get chosen by God. I chose myself, and I chose my destiny, and I pulled myself up my bootstraps, and so I'm chosen, so I'm better. And that's the oxygen that we're breathing all the time. And then when you don't get chosen, spiritually, emotionally, it's somebody else's fault. Eh, that's so, so-and-so, they cheated the game, and that's, God must be like letting that one go, and, and, and I'm going to be mad at God and mad at my mom and mad at my, because I'm the you know, second chosen kid or whatever. That's what happens. So that's the world. The world thinks that if you're chosen, you're better, and if you're unchosen, you're cursed. But God doesn't see it that way. He chooses the secondborn on purpose. Because he's trying to communicate that if you're chosen, you're a blessing. You're not chosen to bless yourself. You're chosen to be a blessing to others. If you have money, you have money to bless. You don't have money just to spend on yourself or, you know, build up your own kingdom or, or, or prop yourself up. You have money to give away. If you have wisdom, it's to advise others. Everything that you have, every gift. If you have leadership, if you have hospitality, all of it is a blessing to be blessed. If you have been forgiven, then forgive others. If you've been given to, then give to others. If you have... Um, if you have hospitality, if you have a house, then give it away. And if you are not chosen, or you are the one that is the, the weaker of the two, then be ready to get blessed, because that's the way the economy works. We want fair. God wants blessing. God doesn't work around us. He works through us. And so he takes families. If you notice this, we're not the same. And there are some strong, and there are some weak. And there are some that are less intelligent, more intelligent, people people, and, and non-people people, and, and street people, and book smart. And every gift is meant to be a blessing. And everything you have is meant to be a blessing. In the hands of humans, chosen this means I'm better. But in the hands of God, he says, you're here to be a blessing. 
And I'm, here to, I'm not here to make things fair. I'm, I'm here to make things blessed. And so that's what God is doing. If, if you have blessings and, and people are, are, are jealous of that and they are antagonizing you, then take heart because God says that when you are chosen by him for specific purposes, one of the things that comes with that will be persecution. And that's how history has always gone. And, and if, you, if you are praying for something and waiting on something and don't see the Lord's justice or fairness or whatever, just be ready because those that have not, the weak, the poor in spirit, you're about to be blessed. Blessed are you when you're poor in spirit, when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, when, you, when you, people say all sorts of ugly things about you. That's not a moral ethic, you know? Like that's an invitation and a pronouncement. The less you have, the more you're ready to be blessed. You're easier to bless for God because it means that when you get it, you'll be ready to give it away. So if you're lacking a blessing today, take courage, take heart. That's the soil he plants blessing in, the one that's hungry, the one that knows that you're weak because you'll never be able to get to the other side of that gift and say, I did this and not him. All right, here we go. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first came out and was red. The whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau, which means red. He's the father of the Edomites, by the way. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. We'll get back to that as we consider sibling rivalry in the, in the Bible and in our life. Um, but uh, the Bible's using some, some symbolism here, some characteristics of each of the brothers to show the character, to get you ready for the types of people that they are, the Esau, the hairy, the ugly, the animalistic. You know, he's going to sit down and eat, and I'm going to die if I don't get my food. Give me my porridge, raw, I kill and steal and all that, right? So you get the picture of Esau. It's a good character building. We need this because we're going to carry them through the story. But if you're not careful, you don't realize that the, the loudness of Esau and the, and the animalism of Esau is going to try and trick your pride into thinking that because Esau is so bad, that in light of that, Jacob's actually good. But Jacob's the deceiver, and you're going to see how, how Jacob and Esau are both equally in sinning. It's not that he chose Jacob because Esau is so bad. He chose Jacob because he chose Jacob. Back to rule one. And so listen, some of us in this room, we're big, hairy, ugly sinners, Man, we get, we, we, we're running from, we're, we're just raging, drunk on the weekend. You know, I had a friend, Pete on Suits and Sears. I mean, some, some people, they have a story, they got a testimony, they'll get up for five minutes just about the big, hairy, ugly sins. And then some of us are smooth sinners. I'm a smooth sinner. I am. From the day I was born, I'm a smooth sinner, you know? I don't have a big, ugly story, but I'm a sinner. And so are you. And so, so when we're born, you know, some people sin like rock stars, some people sin like politicians, man. And you better watch out for the politicians because they're the ones that are hardest to catch. Those fear of man people, those flatterers, smooth talkers, the passive ones, the nice ones, they think they don't need God too. And they're even in a worse spot because they become the Pharisees. Don't let Esau make you think that Jacob's not a sinner too. And don't let Esau make you think you're not a sinner too. So this, this, this grace, right, it's, it's, it's here to injure us, confront us, and change us for our own good. It's better than our dreams. It's his blessing. It's his blessing. It's his blessing. And so we need to find, find our, our repentance before we can find our, our, our reconciliation, our redemption. So once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished, and he said, Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. Caveman, right? Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is a birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright. 
to Jacob. When Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew, he ate and he drank and he got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. And so uh, we, we see the unfolding of, 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 God's, of God's plan of how this birthright took place. And by the way, the birthright is separate from the blessing. The birthright is from man and the blessing is from God. And so there's two actual occasions this is going to pre- preclude. This is going to be the, 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 the foreshadowing of what, what Esau stewards in the horizontal is how he kind of begins to treat the vertical as well. But on both counts, he loses the blessing and the birthright. And so we don't even get introduced to just a, a, a dumpster fire of a, of, of a character, we get induced to a dumpster, dumpster fire of, of a family. I mean, this family, I can literally sit up here on Sunday and say, it's the family from hell because it demonstrates worse than reality TV. You're going to read in the next couple of weeks, you're going to roll your eyes at how ridiculous and petty and self-serving and, 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 and just offensive and offendable everybody is in this family from Jacob to Esau to Rebekah to Isaac, the conniving, the deception. Everybody's wearing a mask. Everybody's trying to go and take their blessing. Everybody's trying to go and earn what's theirs and trading it for small and petty things like, like lentil stew. And so there's no such thing as, as isolated blessing. He's, always here to, he's not just here to bless Christians. He's here to bless families. And um, he's here to rescue families. And so maybe that's the word for you that you're a blessing to be a blessing to your family. Danny Silk uh, wrote a book called um, Keep Your Love On. It's one of the best books I've, I've read. I'm not a counselor, but I think it gave me a pretty good framework for pretty much every family under the sun. And he says that uh, in every family, there's, there's three roles that happen when Jesus moves from outside the center of a family. And the roles are uh, somebody becomes a victim. They're the good child. Uh, the parent basically introduces an idol instead of Jesus. And so whatever that idol is, whether it's you're hardworking or you're hospitable or you're fun or you're funny or whatever that may be, that becomes the favorite. So the favorite child, if there's more than one kid, comes and fills that spot and everybody else becomes jealous of them because all of sibling dynamics is introduced by rivalry, because you need that dad's attention, you need mom's attention, you need that encouragement. So the good kid becomes the victim, because everybody else is bugging him, and, and just don't hurt little, you know, Jimmy or little Johnny or whoever it is. I'm not picking out names, obviously, in the church, right? So, but then there's a villain. Have you known the villain? So the villain's the black sheep, because the villain represents, oh, I'm not, I can't be like the best kid, the good sheep, so I'm going to go and run and do the opposite thing. I'm going to be the bad, I'm going to pull out my motorcycle with my Harley Davidson leather jacket and get out of town. I don't know, that's so cliche. But there's a bad sheep. Do you know who your bad sheep is? There's somebody in your family who didn't do it right, and they love not doing it right. They actually, when they find out what's right, they do the opposite, because they're the villain. And then you have the third one, and that's the, the Messiah, right? That's the, that's the superhero. And that's the one that, that doesn't need anything, and they're just a nun, and they're just a saint, and they're just here to serve because between the two of them, they just want the family to get along, and so they'll give anything that they can to try and get peace in the family. And so they're the superhero, and they're, they're altruistic, and they're great, and they don't have any problems, and they don't have any needs because they're just there to serve. And so you take Jesus out, you put an idol in the middle, and you get a dumpster fire. That's where all of our families start. God knows that. He's writing the story for you because Isaac loved Esau because he loved meat. I don't know, what does your family love? Work ethic, intelligence, good attitude, you know, like what, I don't know, like art, art, depends on what family you're in is which the idol is, and then who's the good sheep and who's the bad sheep, but when Jesus moves out of center of the picture, then somebody's blessed, so somebody else has to be cursed, and there's a favor for one against the other, and that's how this whole thing, and you could take one of those kids out of that, put them in a different environment, you ever notice that? The, the bad sheep can go in a different environment and actually thrive. They'll crumble at home and 
They'll thrive somewhere else because they're now in a different environment. Maybe the idol serves them better in that household, and that's why they run over there. So he meets us in this dumpster fire. He's not doing it like on accident. He's not doing a makeover. He's doing a miracle. And you're going to watch this family. It's not just Jacob, but it's the entire family. And he's going to work out the grace within this family towards, towards forgiveness. I don't have it on the screen. I'm going to read it to you. But this is, this is just a, a little, this is us, end of, the, end of the road snapshot of where this story is headed. For both Jacob and Joseph, one verse, Genesis 33, verse 4, Esau and Jacob become estranged uh, because of this birthright deal. They don't talk to each other for 20 years. You guys don't have a family that doesn't talk to each other for 20 years? Has passive-aggressive remarks? Huh? And just, just brings up the past and, and bitter and, and, and just, you know, like, oh, I'm just setting up healthy boundaries. No, you're just building walls. You're not forgiving people, right? You're not blessing people. And, 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 so, and so Esau, he says he runs out to meet Jacob. This is the conveyor belt. This is where he's leading you, not just to heaven, but towards your family, towards the people he's called you to, towards the other people that are blessed. Esau runs out to meet Jacob and embraces him. He throws his arm around his neck and kisses him, and they wept. That's the work of the gospel. That's it. Not to make you famous. Not to make you happy. To make you like Jesus. To be a blessing in your family. How could that family get saved? How could that family find redemption other than the grace of Jesus and the forgiveness? The first brothers that ever hit the earth killed each other. Couldn't even live with each other. Killed each other. Cain and Abel. Cain brought up Abel. Was ticked about his offering and he killed him. And the next brothers, you know what? Isaac and, and uh, Ishmael. Ishmael has to get sent away because there's such hostility within there because when you're chosen, it means you're better and when you're not, it means you're cursed. And so there's this grappling. Not everybody can get blessed. Oh, God's not good enough to do that. He can't bless everybody. He can't be blessing somebody just to bless other people. It's all about first and last. And so, you know, that's, that's the heritage, right? It starts with murder. But by the end of the time, the wrestling of grace through the years, through the generations, that's why it's good to read large, not only depth, but distance in the Bible. Distance in the scriptures will show you the big story. Death will get you deep, right? But the distance, the distance needs to show you the whole story. It starts with murder and ends with forgiveness. What's God doing in the gospel? What's grace really doing in your life? Making your dreams come true. Dressing you up like Pocahontas or Milan or whoever it is. Bringing grace through the ministry of reconciliation in his blood. That's what he's doing. That's what he's doing in 2021. And so this is how it starts. It starts in murder and ends with, with forgiveness. He's wrestling you. He's not letting you go. And he's bringing you to that, to that grace place. And so my question for us to start the year off is how are you wrestling um, with grace? Grace is actually introducing some obstacles in your life that you think are obstacles are actually opportunities. Depends on how you count the scorecard and it depends on who's at the center of your living room, Jesus or some other idol. But if Jesus is at the, is at the center and forgiveness is the goal and reconciliation is, is the impossible miracle that he's about to birth in your family. And how are you, how are you wrestling with that? How are you, contending, um, how are you contending with this grace? Um, maybe you would go home and, and, and write, uh, write your story out and consider, you know, as we think about the 10 chapters of this, of this book to show us the story of Jacob and, and where he takes Jacob from and where he leads him to. This is why it's so important that we're harping on this in the very beginning because we need to get a before-after picture. You know when you're losing weight, you gotta take a before-after picture, right? You don't know your progress. So you gotta look at this, you gotta look at this family in the eye and you gotta look at your family in the eye and remember this day and remember where you are and where he's about to take you. 
By the end of this chapter, by the end of your chapter 34, you're going to look completely different. You're going to sound completely different. It's because of him and not because of you. It's because of his grace and not because of your grit. And he's wrestling you. And I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. I, I, pr- I promise I'm not a, a pessimist, but 21 is going to have its knocks too. Because <laughs> you're in it. <laughs> and so am I. But it's going to be good. There's so much grace. The thing about a person that's been conquered by grace is they realize, like, his grace is so deep. It's not just even the quality, it's the quantity. It's so many times, he, so many times he forgives you. So many times he gives you strength. So many times you think you can't do it and he lifts you back up again. So many times he speaks to you again and reminds you again, his grace is sufficient for you, his grace. And so you're on the conveyor belt, like, you could run backwards on that thing. You'd be moonwalking, running away from grace. There it is. Because you're, you're drowning in it. You're wrestled with it. God chose you. He's not letting you go. It's not about your attitude. He'll use your evil. He'll use your good. He'll use your waywardness. He'll use your passivity. He'll use it. He'll figure it out. What does Joseph say at the end of the story? What you meant for evil, God meant for good. He ends up putting Joseph in a prison, and it saves the whole people of Israel. Treated his brother like, they treated his brother like, 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 like he was trash, threw him away. And by the end of the story, there's tears and weeping and forgiveness because grace is always doing the same work in 20 and 21 and 22. He's working on you. He's not done yet. He's changing your name. He's injuring you, and he's making you limp because of the grace that he's, he's put inside of you. And so how are you wrestling? How are you wrestling with grace? There's so much grace. There's so much to be blessed in Jesus by. And, and it says all nations. All nations are blessed through Jesus, and all people are blessed through you. Are you being made to be a blessing? Are you recognizing as you write out your story, you shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be here should be the end of the story. Shouldn't be here. So that you could recognize that it wasn't you, it was him, it was his grace that abounds in you. And so you have nothing to brag on except for his grace. You have nothing to boast except for his grace. You have nothing to rationalize as to where you are and what you're to do next except for his grace. May you drown in the grace of Jesus this year. That's your purpose. That's your mandate. It's not your dream. It's his blessing. That's why you're awake. That's why you're alive. It's to find yourself surrounded more and more and more, less with your striving and your works and more and more with his favor and with his grace. So I want to invite the, the, the worship team to come forward and we're going to have a time of blessing and a time of prayer. I'm going to invite you to stand up with me. And um, again, um, uh, we, we're working on this. And, you know, culture, I don't know if you, know, you guys talk about that at work or whatever, culture takes time, culture is just what you do. And I just want us to, to make decisions, you know, as a church when we get together, listen, like, I'm going to have Tom come up and present like a ministry word. And what that means is like we don't pray just because sermons are over. We pray because his presence is here and we pray all the time. And so one thing that I think is important for us, if we are to be a church on a trail, to be a church for Greenville, is we're a church on our knees and we're warm and maybe even red hot in prayer. And that starts by praying in his presence, not just because of problems. That starts by not seeing Prayer is something that needs to fix a problem, but just prayer is something as an inheritance to celebrate all the time. So one of the things you'll notice is I'll always pass the microphone off to Tom to show and commemorate and remind us, like, we're not praying because the sermon's over. We're praying because he's here. And, and we need to get out of the mentality of I can only pray when my grandma's sick. We need prayer all the time. Come up here for prayer and, say, and, and pray that he would show you what to pray for. That's what you need for prayer then. If you don't know what to pray for, then, Lord, open my eyes to see what I need. Because we're so needy, we need your grace. And yeah, we can run against the current of grace and run away from the catch, but let's not do that. Let's not increase sin so that, so that grace would abound. How foolish is that, says Paul? Let's run with grace. What if we ran in the direction with grace? At every turn and every opportunity, Lord, what are you doing? I need you, I need you, I need you, I need you. It's about you, it's not about me. 
What if we grew in grace this year and we just surrendered to their wrestling that he would change our name in, 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 in eternal ways? All right. Bless us, Lord. We bless this church in Jesus' name with the blessing of Jesus. You only blessed. You only touched. You only healed. You only gave and asked nothing in return. Lord, we just follow you in that grace, and it's a good place, a good stream to be. Thank you, Lord, for this ministry training. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.